Welcome back to Truck Tech, everyone. Uh, you know, there is a lot of money pouring into uh, infrastructure for electrification, for uh, trucks to you know be purchased and things like that. We've certainly uh, discussed some of those subjects in the past, and and uh, we'll do it again. We're going to do it today with our guest, Celine Yuseveda, who is the uh, CEO of uh, Watt EV uh, out in California. Uh, you know, Watt EV is pretty interesting on a couple of fronts. Uh, we're going to talk with Salim in a moment. But, you know, one of the things they've done really, really well is uh, uh, bring in money. They spend a lot of other people's money, uh, not through sort of capital raising. But we'll get into that in just a moment. Right now, let's welcome Salim to the show. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Hey, listen, you know, we have uh, we've had a chance to talk a number of times. I think most recently just a couple of months ago when you announced the opening of the uh, of the of your first facility, your first uh, infrastructure site in the Port of Long Beach. And I, you know, that one actually came a little ahead of what you expected, I think. But, but you know, I, I think it's really important that we frame up kind of your way of going to market with what you do. You know, you, you've got um, a lot of grant money, a lot of vouchers for trucks. You've uh, obviously done a good job there. Explain how you managed to do that. I think. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there's no doubt that infrastructure as well as the trucks are expensive. And we try to couple the, 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 the money that we get as much as possible with grants. So, I mean, we have been very successful in getting grant funding, uh, both state and federal grants for infrastructure as well as truck funding. But there is also uh, a big portion of match share that we put in ourselves. Um, we have raised about uh, 30 million to date um, through, you know, sources of capital, including the uh, seed, uh, private capital, and uh, soon to be a uh, series A that we've been working on. But uh, really, I mean, we rely pretty heavily on, on grant infrastructure funds to reduce the cost of capital as much as possible. And we've been pretty successful doing it. Yeah, you have. Uh, you know, I think you told me when I first met you a couple of years ago that you had uh, about $20 million uh, in grant uh, funding. I, I imagine that's caught up quite a bit. What's your current number? We're pretty close to about 60 million now. So we've uh, raised amazing. quite a lot more. Uh, we recently announced a, a $34 million grant uh, in Sacramento, where we're building uh, a site similar to Bakersfield, but uh, on a much larger scale. So that's uh, 120 acres or so that will have solar as well as uh, well over 100 charging st stations um, for trucks, as well as a visitor center to really raise awareness for what we're doing. Yeah, you know, somehow you've gotten a lot of people's attention, though, Celine, because, you know, it feels to me like Wadi V has kind of burst onto the scene as a major player. And I, I remember coming to that first news conference at uh, the ACT Expo, and I guess it was probably 2022, I believe, um, when you were introduced and, and uh, you know, the, the, you had an opportunity to sort of explain what you're doing. Um, you know, the truck is a service space. Um, you've done that but with uh, comparatively few resources. As far is there sort of a, a a bit of a pitch me feeling going on at the company right now? Absolutely. I mean, we've again, as I mentioned, had a tremendous amount of success early on, and, and we are still a fairly new company. We were founded in 2020 and and have made tremendous amount of progress in the way. I mean, when we initially started, we started with the goal of being a main infrastructure provider for the transition that we all can say is as as without a doubt is coming now. Right. I mean. There's no doubt that it's a matter of, of when, and it's happening now, not a matter of if. 
and uh, we wanted to be the main infrastructure provider for that, but uh, really evolved our business in the in in the process to add and, and make uh, trucking a lot more affordable and easier for an owner operators that make a huge portion of the industry. And that's where we came up with right. the, the truck as a service concept. Yeah, we'll get to the Pony Express in a minute, but I have to ask one more question about about sort of the grant and and uh, uh, you know funding that you're getting. Who do you know? I mean, somebody at your place must know somebody because you know <laughs> this just doesn't happen organically, right? This, it, we, I mean, we we bang on doors and make noise to to get it done, right? Uh, we've uh, worked with a number of consultants. Uh, Mightycom GNA has been a huge help to us early on, um, opening up the doors, making connections. Um, but really, I mean, we've also built up our team significantly on the grants. And, and uh, again, it's just a matter of, of banging on doors and then making leaps in, in progress. Yeah. How much of the, what I call hand-holding, uh, is YDV doing with fleets and so forth? Uh, you know, uh, at this point, I think you would, I'm guessing you would prefer to do, to, to just go ahead and uh, provide a truck for them as, as to help, say, a fleet get the trucks on their own. Um, are you involved in that portion of things as far as the consultative? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Activity? I mean, there, there's still there's still a good amount of, of handholding going on um, in different aspects, right? So if you look at just the the grant aspect alone, um, so in order for an owner operator to get into an electric truck, there's various grants that they apply to. Um, for instance, there's HFIB as well as ISEF, which is targeted towards the smaller fleet. But uh, for a, an owner-operator to qualify, they have to have um, a minimum amount of revenue per year as well as a minimum fleet size. And once we get them into that, uh, that gives them the voucher where we work with uh, the, um, the dealers to get the vehicles. But also, we want to guarantee that they can drive that truck successfully, meaning that we have sufficient charging within our network to, to uh, satisfy the routes that they have. So we work very closely with them to identify the routes and oftentimes work closely with the shippers to bring in new routes onto the platform that we can give to those owner operators. So there's right. you know, quite right. a bit of handholding that still goes on until we reach to uh, a, a, a scale where mass adoption happens. Yeah. In your, um, in your run on Less Electric Depot video, you said that Truck as a Service actually came up after you planned your first depot in Bakersfield. You've also described that as the Pony Express approach that you're taking with uh, with TAS. We'll just call it TAS here among friends. Is is this a hedge or is it an integral part, an integral to the YDV business model? Yeah, so I mean, when you look at the reason why we created Truck as a Service, um, it's because we didn't want there to, to just be sites that go without demand, right? So we want to, in a way, create the demand ourselves. And we started looking at the trucks and and the limitations that they have in terms of the, the high price, the range uh, limitations, the weight constraints, and so forth, and wanted to come up with a solution that gives owner-operators access to electric trucks at a much more affordable uh, um, price. And, you know, long-term, if you go 10, 20 years out, I would say that the the price of the trucks are, are low enough where we, we don't need truck as a service to exist anymore. Owner operators should hopefully be able to go and purchase those trucks themselves, um, being able to hopefully use megawatt charging at much faster rate to come in and do opportunity charging. But in the earlier stages where you know we, we have those constraints, there definitely is a lot more handholding needed to, to prime that market. And so early on, especially now, truck as a service is sort of an integral part of the business. 
Right. But, but you do see it as a transition kind of thing and it, or transitory, it, you know, and I, and I know that I'm really interested to hear more on megawatt charging in a moment because I, I think you've talked about it from the very beginning, you know, that, that we're not there yet. I think other than Tesla's, there's really nobody that can even come close to uh, charging at that rate, but uh, it's something that you're looking at. We'll get to that in just a moment. I, I want to ask you too, though, um, you mentioned Sacramento uh, before I could bring it up, but this, this uh, uh, $34 million that, that you received to build that out, is that on land that you've leased or did Wadi purchase that land? Yeah, so Wadi actually doesn't own any of the properties. We enter into lease agreements on all of our sites. Um, some of those sites are going to be privately owned. Some of them are city owned. But on all of them, we enter into uh, lease agreements. And that, okay, that allows so us to operator. sort of free up. Correct. I mean, that, that allows us to, to free up some of our capital and focus it mostly on development and infrastructure rather than land acquisition. Sure. Yeah, because a lot of the competition is doing, you know, I, I just wrote a few weeks ago about, I guess you'd call it kind of a land grab that's underway. You're familiar with it. Um, you know, some of the, I guess we'll call it competitors because they are competitors really that, that want to do what you're doing, but they want to buy and develop the sites, you know. You're doing site development, though. You're you're actually working with utilities and, and and the other players to get these sites ready. Yeah, correct. And it is still sort of a land grab for us, but uh, really, I mean, we want to put a, a lot of our capital to actual infrastructure development rather than site acquisition. Right. Let's talk about let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, when you put chargers in at this point, uh, you're looking at vehicles that can charge it up to about 250 kilowatts thereabouts. Um, but it's not going to be too long till we see the next generation of trucks that presumably would uh, w- would be operating, uh, you know, at, at, at much higher charging rates. Uh, how do you have this mapped out in terms of when and which kind of charging you want to put in? Sure. Yeah. So Wadavi has always been um, an advocate of megawatt charging, right? So if you look at, you know, the trucks today, they are limited in their charge rate where you have, you know, the fastest truck and typically charge about 350 kilowatts, which still translates to about a two to three hour charge time. Now, when you look at, you know, a, a, a diesel truck operator, they'll typically spend 30 to 45 minutes at a truck stop and then be back on the road. So there is that gap of where we are today and how do we get it to a typical, typical truck stops um, 30 to 45 minute range. And that's where megawatt charging comes in. So in order to, for us to bridge that gap, I mean, we, we sort of have our own internal charging equipment through Charge America, which is a subsidiary of WADIV that has created charging equipment that uh, works with both current technology on CCS and is already future-proofed with megawatt charging. So we, we do have um, uh, this technology being added to all of our sites where it's true dynamic charging between five 240 kilowatt CCS chargers as well as a megawatt charger. So this allows us to accommodate both current technology as well as be ready for megawatt charge. Now, the, the biggest limitation that we see is, is on the vehicle side, right? I mean, we, we have developed the, the, the megawatt charging equipment ourselves. We see that viable and it's going through the certification process right now. The limitation that we see is on the, the truck manufacturer side and for them to make that leap from, you know, manufacturing CCS capable trucks to jumping over to megawatt charging. And that to them, uh, you know, they need to see that demand. And, and for us, we're, we're sort of priming that market, creating that demand ourselves and pushing those OEMs in that direction. How do you, how do you see that playing out? Because it, it, it seems that 
this is not something that would happen organically. And I know Daimler Truck put a megawatt charger in up at Electric Island. You've probably visited there and seen it. And I know that was where Charin did its uh, uh, did its event last October, I think. But but here's the thing. Um, to get to that point, I mean, right now we're still at early adoption with all kinds of hockey stick charts out there that show it growing exponentially. But what about that move to megawatt? What are you doing? What can you do to encourage that? Yeah. So, so again, on the infrastructure side, all of our sites are built with the future in mind. So we do have both CCS as well as megawatt charging. Um, but again, on the, the, the truck manufacturing side, you, you already are seeing some adoption, right? As you mentioned, Daimler as an MCS at their charge island. And they have also been testing a, a vehicle that uh, has an MCS connector in Europe. Um, really, though, when you look at the, the U.S. market, um, the main players, their bread and butter is still selling diesel vehicles. So how do you get you know, an industry to shift from that mindset of selling diesel trucks to going to megawatt charging vehicles and, and sometimes skipping CCS if they haven't even done CCS vehicles? And, and that is, you know, plays a huge challenge. But really, that's where the market needs to go to get to that mass adoption. And we see that really happening in 2025, 2026 time frame. Well, it's it's easy to always go back to Tesla because, you know, I think they charge at about 750 right now uh, on their mega, megawatt chargers. Um, but, you know, but they're the only ones, really. And they did skip the whole CCS thing, right? I mean, you know, they they decided that there was a, a better way to go and, and, you know, from ground up. And, and I think that's really, I guess, my understanding is that the next uh, generation of these trucks, of electric trucks, will in fact be more or less designed for this, right? I mean, this is, or, or will there be, from what you understand, an interim step even before you get to MCS? Yeah, I mean, when you look at uh, Tesla, they weren't plagued with that legacy mindset, right? I mean, they didn't have any diesel vehicles to work with. They just went from a ground up build and asked themselves, how do we get to you know the, the fastest charge rate to get as close as possible to a traditional truck rest break? And they, they, were for the most part part of uh, the Charon organization developing the megawatt charger, but uh, I think right now they're using an earlier version of that, and you know it's yet to be seen whether they go to the latest standard on the MCS connector. Um, but again, I mean a lot of the other manufacturers are also committing to megawatt charging. It's just a matter of when they will get there, and and that again comes down to to really priming the market and, and pushing those manufacturers in that direction sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I think this might be the first time that we've talked that I really understood kind of your um, uh, your pathway, if you will. That is, I'm going to review here, correct me if I've got it wrong, but that you would do uh, ultimately a, tran- a transition of, of truck as a service, and then eventually when we can match the amount of time at a truck stop or wherever that a diesel truck takes, you'd be willing to step back from that and just use these megawatt chargers and that would be the future rather than steady state. Uh, absolutely. I mean, when you look at uh, you know current technology, that two to three hour charge time is you know for for opportunity charging for the most part a deal breaker, right? I mean, the last thing you want is someone to come in and wait two to three hours during an opportunity charge. So really early on, we're working very closely with owner operators as well as with the shippers to create schedules that match those time frames that uh, we can really get the, the best use of that vehicle given the constraints. Now, as the prices of these vehicles come down and the charge times uh, are also coming down, 
that's when we see you know opportunity charging becoming more viable where you don't have to really work so much on the scheduling uh they can now just show up at the site charge very quickly and then be on their way again so since we are in the early days of infrastructure development um especially for trucks how important are stopgap measures like energy storage on site mobile charging things like that i know i think you indicated you were using some mobile chargers at long beach uh yep while you're getting finished yeah it becomes increasingly important um, on the battery storage side, obviously, you want to avoid uh, the peak time. So that's where uh, energy is oftentimes more expensive. So having some sort of battery storage can help reduce uh, or shave off uh, some of that peak hours. Um, and then on the, the mobile chargers as well, um, that that we do see uh, becoming viable in some areas where it may take longer to actually put the charges into the ground. Uh, now, again, going back to, to the battery storage, um, you know, as mentioned, some of our sites are going to have solar and battery storage and be some, somewhat independent from, from the utilities. So if you look at uh, Bakersfield or Sacramento, for instance, these sites are going to have over 25 megawatts of uh, solar capacity. Now, you know these sites were sort of modeled after a traditional truck stop where you can do 200 truck fuelings per day. And so you know, having 25 megawatts of solar allows us to have sufficient amount of solar capacity at least during the daylight hours to charge that to, at those uh, rates. Um, and then that helps us also become more uh, more or less less tied to the utilities, as well as reduce the total cost of energy. It also brings you a little closer to this idea of being able to do opportunity charging for some of the fleets. And, you know, we write a lot about behind the fence private charging depots that are multiplying, really. They're all around you, um, uh, you know, Long Beach, uh, or kind of around you. But you suggest that even those that operate as intended, you know, whether it's, you know, 32 uh-huh. chargers or 26 chargers, whatever, that there will still be some opportunity charging needed. Is this something that's just kind of around the edges for YDV or do you see maybe an opportunity of making that a bigger deal? Yeah. So when, when you look at uh, a lot of the big players um, that have their own locations, the larger carriers, most of them are eventually going to add chargers at their facilities for behind the fence charging. These are the, the larger carriers that have purchased their own trucks. But, you know, the, mo- the majority of the industry is made up of smaller owner operators. And these are carriers that don't have access to infrastructure, or don't have the capital means to build the infrastructure themselves. And for these um, uh, customers, opportunity charging in, in places like WADIV definitely become crucial for them to uh, get into electric truck charging. Now, when you look at those larger carriers also that have, yep. No, I'm sorry, you I didn't at, mean to wait. interrupt, but you've got you've to basically have the availability for them because the first time they wait an hour to get to a charger is probably the last time they do it, right? Correct, yeah. And that's sort of why we've created this, this valet service where they can come in with their passenger vehicle, park their car, get into a, a, one of their trucks, and then go on the route and then come back. And, and really it becomes more of a scheduling challenge where we, work with them to identify schedules for them to come in and out. And then as you know, the, the charge rates become faster, um, opportunity charging becomes a lot more viable rather than the, the scheduling challenges that we face today. Yeah. There's another issue that um, has been in the news quite a bit recently. And I, I don't, you know, I covered recalls for many years at General Motors and I'm pretty familiar with how that whole thing works. And not that recalls are not serious, they're very serious. But we have seen now a couple of instances, and they both involve uh, products that you're using, uh, the Volvo VNR Electric uh, for battery replacements because of potential fires in the Nikola, 
uh, you know, with the tray because of the uh, apparently uh, a, a, a coolant leak, um, also under recall. How are you uh, dealing with that, especially in these early days? I know Nicholas said it's okay to keep the trucks on the road. I presume Volvo has told you the same thing. What, uh, how are you? How are you adjusting? Yeah, so so for the most part, uh, we are stay, still able to operate the the Nikola trucks that we have. Um, we are doing a lot of uh, battery health diagnostics to make sure that uh, we are monitoring everything on those vehicles to to make sure that they are still safe to drive. Um, and then uh, Nikola is also working closely uh, on swapping out any parts that need to be swapped on any vehicles that uh, seem unfit to drive. But for the most part, we haven't had any of those issues yet, and we have still been operating the trucks um, as normal. Uh, and then on, on the Volvo trucks, we also uh, have faced delivery delays because of some of those recalls that you mentioned. Um, I mean, in total, we've got uh, 87 Volvo trucks that we're waiting for still. Um, and, you know, the Volvo still wants to make sure that those trucks are, are safe and and eventually they will deliver. Um, we do have a reservation for Tesla as well. And they're also a manufacturer that won't commit to a delivery timeline. Um, eventually we know we will get delivery of those trucks. But yeah, I mean, again, safety yeah. is, is our, our number one issue and we want to make sure that uh, we give our customers a safe product. And uh, we've been monitoring all the vehicles very closely as well as following up with all of those manufacturers to make sure that the trucks that we have are safe to drive. Sure. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. I, I, I don't, I've never asked this question, so you're the first to get it. And that's the king of a day, king for a day question. What one thing uh, would you want to see changed as quickly as possible or immediately in this new area that you're, that you're now working in? Yeah. So if you look at, you know, the, the industry, the, the biggest challenge, uh, well, there's multiple challenges. One of the biggest challenges is infrastructure and the time it takes to get infrastructure running. Um, for right now, we actually have customers that, you know, are some of those larger carriers that are working on building their own sites, but, and have taken delivery of trucks, but still don't have the infrastructure in place to charge. So they're actually coming to some of our depots saying, Hey, can we domicile some of our vehicles at your facility while we get ours up and running? And, you know, infrastructure has been a, a huge challenge. And one of the things that we can help to expedite that uh, is either on the permitting side or on the utility side. You know, on, on the utility side, they do have uh, incentives and programs to put infrastructure in place, but those still take quite a lot of time. And one area that you can improve that, for instance, is uh, a lot of the the engineering work that they do um, can be outsourced or can be you know taken upon the old company, right? So Wadavi can come in and say, hey. If I do the infrastructure and the, or if I do the engineering ourselves, would it help speed up the process for you guys? And and that is one process that uh, we are working closely with the utilities to see if it's it's viable where we can do some of the engineering work ourselves to help reduce their workload and help speed it up. Well, it, it, and I, so I guess what you're saying is you, you'd like to be able to say, "Here's my tools. Here am I. Can I do this?" That that's sort of the answer. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, so some of those utilities do, for instance, the single line diagrams themselves or contract a portion of it out, but it can take a significant amount of time to get those results back. And Wadivi has the sourcing in-house in to be able to do that themselves. So for the most part, we can come in and do the engineering work, submit it to SCE, get that final stamp of approval, and that speeds up the process significantly. Yeah, okay, well, good. So if you're king for a day, that's what you wanna do, basically. 
So that's one of them. <laughs> that's, that's definitely one of them. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, we don't have any more time for to hear any others. But you think about it for the yep. next time we talk, and you give me your other wish list. Um, listen, sure. Salim, thank, thanks so much for being here um, on the show today. I really appreciate it. And uh, we will catch up with you uh, down the road, okay? Sounds great. Thanks so much, Alan. Okay, folks, we are going to wrap up today. Uh, just a reminder that Truck Tech uh, is uh, coming to you um, via the Freight Wave, Freight Waves YouTube channel. Uh, you're watching it uh, live now, but you can go back and you can uh, get previous episodes uh, by going to the Freight Waves YouTube channel. Uh, click on Shows and then Truck Tech, and you'll get a whole playlist, and you can watch, I guess it's 30 episodes, but you may not want to watch that many. In any case, we really appreciate having you here. We hope you'll check that out and we'll see you next time. 